This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to what I believe is the best summer our church has ever experienced. If you're new to New Life, my name is Kevin, and I'm going to be guiding us through the rest of our time here together This morning, as we journey through this series that we're calling Summer of Love, learning how to love deeper, more fully, more passionately than we ever have in our lives. When you came in, you should have gotten a program. Inside of it are two things you want to get. You want to grab the card that says Start Here, and you're going to want to start filling that out. Uh, If you're regular at New Life, just put your name on it. That's fine. We have your contact info. If you're new to New Life, You're going to want to put as much information as you're comfortable with because we are assuming that you're here because you, on some level, even a very base level, you want to connect. You want to connect with other people. You want to connect with an organization that is doing something in our city. Uh, We're assuming that you want to connect with God somehow, some way. There's something in you. Maybe when you lay in bed at night and you're all by yourself in the still of the night, there's something that says, There's got to be something else out there beyond my 20, 30, 40, 50 years. There's got to be something else, and I want to know what it is. And we want to help you connect with God, because God is that thing that you're looking for. And we can't connect with you unless we have your contact information. So go ahead and fill that out. Uh, You're also going to want to grab your teaching notes, because they'll let you know where we're going together. We're going to be moving in a direction this morning, and they will help you follow along. It'll give you some things to look at this week uh, as you kind of recap and think back over the message. Uh, And then the third thing you're going to want to grab is in the seat backs in front of you. It's one of these pieces of paper that says, Summer of Love. So go ahead and grab one of those, because you're going to want to use it at some point this morning. See, we're on this journey Uh, of taking Jesus at his word for the next 10 weeks, for this summer. We're taking Jesus at his word. And when Jesus says things like, if you want to experience true life, abundant life, if you want to have a life worth telling stories about, if you want to have what what the Bible calls and what Jesus calls eternal life, which is life in eternity in heaven with God someday, and an incredible life with God today, then Jesus says the key is this. The key is love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength with your essence. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus told a man once, do that and live. And so we're taking him at his word and we're doing it and we're living and we're doing all sorts of fun stuff. And part of it is we're being inspired by this book. Hundreds of us are reading this book already. It's called Love Does by a guy named Bob Goff. And uh, it is transforming the way that we think about love, loving God, loving people. It's inspiring us uh, to act. And if you have not bought this book yet, I just ordered 40 more because we keep selling out. You first service people are smart. You get here early. You buy all the copies of the books. I've sold hundreds of them now, uh, but we keep selling out. I've got 40 more. They're $10. You can't get it on Amazon for that cheap with shipping. So buy it here. It's a great book. It will inspire you. And one of the things that it's inviting us to do is to, to love, to put love in action. And each week we're saying, hey, go out and try to love, learn to love, do something loving. And then when you do, come in and just write down that experience on one of these cards to inspire people. And then we're going to drop these cards in some baskets later that are passed around. And if you look over on this wall, we've already started it. We've got our Love Does wall. And it's just going to be testimonies, stories of the ways people have tried to love. And so if you tried loving this week, if you tried loving your spouse in a new way, a friend in a new way, if you did a random act of kindness, write that down. If someone loved you this week in a, in a tangible way, you can write that down. 
Uh, I know that that happened to me this week. We were at Home Depot up in Rohnert Park because we wanted to buy some outdoor patio furniture, and we found some that we liked, and Maria, my wife, talked them down $200 off because we took Financial Peace University, and Dave Ramsey says, just talk them down. So she talked them down $200 off. The thing was, it was the floor model, so it wasn't in a box, it was out. Uh, and so we bought the, the furniture, and we, uh, we decided we were going to try to get it home that day in the car. Why wait? Why make two trips? And so I did. I loaded it in my car, and I think we have a picture of it. I loaded some of it. That's one piece. I loaded one piece into my car, <laughs> and there were four other pieces that went along, and I realized it's not going to fit in my car. And we happened to see some friends who are new lifers uh, at Home Depot, and they spent about a half hour with us watching our kids while we haggled on the price and hanging out with them. And then they came out to the parking lot and realized that that was not going to fit in my car. And they said, well, hey, let us put some of your furniture in our car, and then we'll just drive it down. They took their entire afternoon to love us, and it was incredible. So I'm going to write that on my card, on my Love Does card. They loved me in a tangible way. If you have those types of stories, uh, I want you to write them down, because what I want us to do is as we leave church or come in, go look at that wall and get inspired to try some new things and to love in new ways, because Jesus says when we do, man, it's going to change everything for us. It's going to change the way we live our lives. It's going to change the way we view God and the way we view people, and, and I want that for you. So we're looking this summer at five key ways, five ways to love God more deeply than we ever have and to love people. And we're going to take one week on each of these. And today we're talking about the power of our words, giving us the ability to love people, to have relationships that go deeper and further than we ever have before. And in the mid-1800s, a nursery rhyme became popular. And even though it's been over 100 years, I'm guessing you still know this nursery rhyme. So see if you can finish it for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... But your words will never hurt me. It's catchy. It's catchy. But I think it's a bunch of garbage. I really do. It's kind of like that creepy nursery rhyme that says, down came baby, cradle and all. I don't understand. Like, that's (laughs) creepy. Sounds nice, doesn't work. I remember the last day of my freshman year of high school. I did what you did on your last day of your freshman year of high school. I signed yearbooks. We went into class. We signed yearbooks all day long. Being the incredibly um, caring student that I was, I wrote a little note because I knew my teachers are busy. They're signing a lot of yearbooks, and they have to lie to a lot of kids. You know, hey, you're really great. I really liked you. I know they didn't like them, so I thought I will help my teachers. So I wrote in my yearbook, Dear Kevin, you are the most incredible student I've ever had. I loved having you in my class. I will miss you so much. And then I put periods one through six and put blanks for my teachers to sign. Very thoughtful of me. And I remember walking up to my geography teacher, Mr. Zegan, and I said to him, Mr. Zegan, I know that you are very busy today, so I have actually filled out a little note from you to me, and all you have to do is sign it under period one. Just go ahead and sign it. And he took it, and he read it, and he looked up at me, and he said, Kevin Finkbeiner, you are the worst student I have ever had in my life. I will never sign your yearbook. And he turned it around, and he pushed it back to me, and I walked away. Words are powerful. Words stick with us. That was 17 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday, because words stick with us. In this book, Love Does, Bob Goff says this. He says, words not only have a shelf life, they not only stick with us, but they have the ability to shape life. The things that we say and the things that are said to us not only stick with us, we remember both the great things that were said to us 
and the painful things that were spoken to us or spoken over us, they stick with us. They stick on us. They have a shelf life, and they have the ability to shape our lives. Some of you had an incredible head start in life because your parents and your teachers and your friends, they spoke uh, affirming, kind, encouraging words into your life, and they gave you a head start in life. Some of us had a very real disadvantage because the words that were spoken to us were words of discouragement. Uh, You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. You'll never have any friends if you keep doing that. And it set us back. It set us back. But I know this about you. No matter where you came from, if you, you had an incredible head start because of the words that were spoken to you, or if your life started at a bit of a disadvantage, here's what I know about you, because you and I aren't that different. You want to have deep friendships. We were created to have real friendships, deep friendships. Even in the very beginning of the Bible, uh, when God lived with uh, this man Adam in a perfect relationship and there was no brokenness in the world, he said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make someone to be in a relationship with you. We were created for relationships. And if our words really do have the ability to shape our lives, and if they really do have a shelf life, if they stick with us and they form who we are, then we need to figure out how to use our words in a way that, that encourages people to have the incredible life that they were called to have. And we need to be people who have friends in our lives who speak words of affirmation, true words into us, so that we can experience the fullness of uh, who God created us to be. And last week, I had each of us take our love language assessment. How many of you did that? Raise your hand. Took your love language assessment. Okay, about three quarters of you. That's pretty good. You're doing it. You can still do it. Make sure you take it this week. Uh, Basically, it's talking about your primary way to receive love, how you like to receive love, and usually that's the best way that you have to give love. Well, I took mine, and my primary love language, the way I receive love, is words of affirmation. I shared that with you last week. And I have a friend named Monica— And Monica and her husband are good friends of my wife and I, and she knew that my primary love language was words of affirmation. So anytime we got into a difficult conversation, because we were real friends, and real friends have difficult conversations sometimes, anytime we got into a difficult conversation, right in the middle of it, she would say this to me. She would say, Kevin, you look handsome in that shirt. (laughs) Right in the middle of it, you look handsome in that shirt. She was trying to affirm me. She was complimenting me. But her words of affirmation simply compliments. Hey, you look handsome in that shirt. Obviously, it's a plaid shirt. Everyone looks handsome in a plaid shirt. I agree with that. But no, words of affirmation go far deeper than that. It's not just compliments. It's not just you look nice today. Words of affirmation are about uh, looking for the way that God designed a person. Uh, In the New Testament, there's a letter Uh, called the the book of Hebrews, written to a group of Jesus followers. And in the very end of it, in chapter 10, the author uh, talks about how to have real relationships, how to have deep relationships, and how to use words to make that happen. So I want to explore Hebrews chapter 10 today, kind of as our main place that we're going to be. And this is what it says in verse 24. The author says, let us consider, and that word consider, consider, it literally means let us watch for, let us perceive, let us look for. And Right away, this is going to put some of us uh, at a little bit of a disadvantage because what he's saying is if you want to have friendships, you have to to, like actually be around people, right? You have to uh, get to know them because you have to perceive things about them. And some of us don't like being around people. And I just want to tell you because I love you, uh, you were not created to be alone. You were created to be around people. And he says, let us perceive, let us look for, let us consider, which means we have to actually get to know people. 
let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And I know what you're thinking, man, the Bible is so outdated because back when he was writing, people would actually skip church for like extra activities, fun things, or vacations. Like, that's crazy. That's so outdated. People would never do that today. They'd never skip church to like go out of town for the weekend. But, but he's, he's saying like, hey, back in the day, people actually did that. Not like today, where we always come to church. They used to actually do that. So he said, don't, don't miss out on worship and teaching and being together as a community. And we say, of course, we would never do that. Instead, encourage one another all the more as you see the day or the day of God approaching. Last week, we explored Genesis a little bit where we found out that we were made in the image of God, that God created us in his image to, to expose his image to the world. And words of affirmation is all about looking for the image of God in someone's life. I would say it this way. Words of affirmation is about looking for and calling out the thumbprint of God in someone else's life. Because we all have this thumbprint of God inside of us. We were all, every single person, whether you're here and you believe in God or not, we all have this thumbprint of God in our lives. This image of God that's just trying to get out. For some of us, it's smudged. For some of us, it's become very faint because of a hard life, and and it's hard to see, but we all have the image of God. And words of affirmation is all about calling out that thumbprint of God. And our job, if we really want to love people, our job is to become students of each other and to look for ways, as we get to know people, to look for ways where God is moving in someone's life. And then to call out the thumbprint. That's what words of affirmation is. Call out the thumbprint. And we do it in two different ways. The first way we do it is we affirm God's thumbprint by telling people what we see God currently doing in their lives. How we see God currently working in their lives. It could be something as simple as, my mother is an incredibly joyful person. And at the school she works at, people are always saying to her, why are you so happy all the time? You seem like you have this joy or this happiness that that we don't have. What they're doing is they're saying, I see a thumbprint on you that's different than the thumbprint in the rest of the world. And she's able to say, well, that's because I know God. And that's the thumbprint that you're seeing of God in my life. It's as simple as saying to your spouse, honey, I've noticed you're becoming more generous with your time. You're becoming more generous with your affection. I see that, and I know that God's growing you in that. Or, hey, I see you taking a step to, to love people more than you ever have this summer. I see you trying to do it. Hey, I noticed that you, were, that you, you gave money to somebody who was in need. I see the thumbprint of God in your generosity right there. Uh, recently, God has been guiding me to be more generous with my money. Uh, and I'm probably the only one who struggles with this. I know you guys probably don't, but— but I do. I've, I've always given 10%. That's the tithe that God commands us to give back to the church, to give back to ministry. I've always given 10%. But every couple of years, I feel like God says, be more generous. Give an extra percentage here, an extra percentage there. So he did recently. And so I went to my wife and I said, honey, I think God is calling us to give more. Can you pray about that? And she came back to me the next day and she said, Kevin, I sense God wanting me to be more generous. He's working in my life there and, and I want to give more. And I was able to say to her, wow, I, I see God's thumbprint in you because five years ago, that would have freaked you out. You never would have done it. But now you are. And that's God working. I was able to affirm her, to call something out in her. And here's why it's so important to encourage each other. Because if you don't have someone calling out where God's currently working real time in your life, you start to wonder, is God really working in my life? 
See, we lose sight of it. We know we believe in God. We know we're following God. But we wonder sometimes, is he, is he really working real time in my life? Is he changing me? Because I hear on stage that, that a relationship with God should transform me. But is he really transforming me? Because I can't really see it. And then you come along and you go into someone's life and you say, I see God transforming you right now, real time. He's working in your life. And that encourages the person. That's why God created us to have words of affirmation. And what it will do is it will draw your relationship closer together than ever before because you're calling out the thumbprint of God in their life. And we like that one. That's part of how we build healthy, real, deep friendships and relationships and our marriage with our kids, with our coworkers, is by calling out the thumbprint of God where he's working real time. But then the author says something else, uh, which I think is a little bit more difficult for most of us, but is actually part of that key to having deep relationships. Verse 24, if we go back up to verse 24, the author says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. And that word spur literally means provoke. Provoke them. Do something, stir them up, get them in a place where they're willing to do something about it. Uh, many of you met my twin brother last week. I am two minutes younger than Todd, but I don't care if you're two minutes younger or two years younger. There's something about being the younger sibling that makes you want to provoke your older siblings. It just is. I remember being 14 and sitting uh, with Todd in the minivan. We had gone to get ice cream with my mom, and she ran into the store just for five minutes to get a prescription. Just five minutes. So she left two 14-year-old boys all sugared up in an Aerostar minivan. He was sitting shotgun. I was in the first bench seat, and then there's a third bench seat if you're not familiar with the minivans of the 90s. And I had my plastic spoon after finishing my delicious ice cream, and I began to flick him in the arm with my plastic spoon just to see what would happen. Poke the lion. Just see what happens. And I flicked him one time, and the spoon broke, and the plastic part scraped his arm all the way down, and he started to bleed. And, and before I knew it, my brother had swung around with his right hook and clocked me right across the chin. He popped every blood vessel all the way down. And before I knew it, he was on top of me, wailing on me, beating me. So I kicked him over to the back seat, and I jumped on him, and we fought for about 10 minutes. If this van's a rocking, don't come a knocking. My mom got back in the car. We were sweating. We were bleeding. We had blood vessels popped everywhere. Why? I provoked him. I provoked him to action. I just forgot to provoke him to love and good deeds. But what the author is saying here is we should provoke each other. If we want to have a real friendship, part of that friendship means means poking at things sometimes saying, hey, I see God working here. I affirm God's thumbprint real time in your life here. But part of affirming people means telling someone, you know what, I see God desiring to work in this area of your life too. It's saying, you know what, I see God's thumbprint in this area. He's working real time right now. But I can see that God wants to work in this area too in your life. And I want to just kind of poke at you and push at you and just bring it up to the surface so that you'll do it. And here's the great thing about this. Every single one of us in this room is really good at this. Here's how I know you're really good at it. Because you've sat in church before and listened to a sermon and you've thought to yourself, I wish my husband was here right now. I wish my kids were here right now. I wish my boss was here right now. They need to hear this sermon. And you thought you were just deflecting things off of you, but really you were just doing what you were created to do. You were pointing it out because we can see in other people's lives where God wants to work a lot easier than we can see it in our own lives sometimes. It's natural for us, and we're good at it. We're good at seeing it in their lives. The thing we're not good at, 
We're not good at, at communicating that to people. So we can see where God wants to work, but we're not very good at communicating where God wants to work. So we fall in one of two categories usually. We have our peacemakers uh, who don't ever say anything because they just want to keep the peace. And so you see your, your friend's marriage falling apart. You don't say anything because really it's not any of your business if their marriage falls apart and their kids have a hard time and they're destroyed and ruined in the process. It's not really any of your business, right? You're just friends. So you don't say anything. And then their marriage falls apart and you think, wow, that's, that's too bad. I, I wonder how that happened. I wonder if I could have done anything. Because you don't want to do anything. Or you, you see a friend and and they're just kind of flirting with something that you know is not going to go well for them. They're just flirting with it. But you say, I'm not going to say anything. They're just flirting with it. And then they take a few more steps down that path and down that path. And then one day you realize, wow, I haven't seen my friend in, in months because they've gone all the way down a path that I know is going to hurt them. But I never said anything because I wanted to keep the peace. The other thing that some of us do is, is the opposite side of that. We currently point out shortcomings. If you have, um, if, you're, if you're a Christian, here's what you say. Well, I just have a discerning spirit. I can discern this. Now, you're, you're just critical and kind of mean, okay? I, let, let's call a spade a spade. You just like to poke at people and tell them where they're not doing good enough. Uh, I asked on Facebook last week, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to you? And what's the most hurtful thing anyone's ever said to you? And the first woman that wrote to me said this, the most hurtful thing anyone ever said to me is a friend once said to me, you're not going to heaven because you don't live a faithful Christian life. Now, if we give this friend the benefit of the doubt, what they were trying to do was spur her on to loving good deeds, right? They were trying to say, hey, there's something in your life where you're not really experiencing all that God has for you, and I want to help move you in that direction. But what they did was they condemned her, they hurt her, they ended the friendship. And these are the only two extremes that we've seen. And so we're terrified to poke into other people's business. Along with that, we have a culture that says, you know what, I'm going to be politically correct, so you do what you want, I will do what I want, everyone will go their own way, and everyone will be fine. The problem with that is it creates superficial friendships that never go deeper than small talk, and we were created by God to have deep, real, intimate friendships. So we have to, we have to call out where God's currently working in people's lives. And then we have to tell them where we see, this is exciting, where we see um, him continuing to work, wanting to work, wanting to move. And I'll be totally honest with you, I have not seen this done well either. And I am a simple man. I am not all that intelligent. Uh, Even though my four-year-old thinks I am, I'm not. So when I don't know the answer to something, I do what you do. I look in the Bible. And generally speaking, I look at Jesus because anybody who can die and then raise himself from the dead, I figure he's got something to say. He's got some authority. I'm going to listen to him. And so I was looking at Jesus' life and asking God, God, how do we do this well? Jesus, how did you do this well? Because one thing that I've noticed about Jesus is people who were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. People who lived totally apart from Jesus— For some reason, they wanted to be with Jesus. Uh, People that the rest of the world thought were sinners, the the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the forgotten. They were nothing like Jesus. He was perfectly holy. They were living a life apart from God, and yet they were drawn to him. And so I said, well, what is it, Jesus, that drew people to you? Because you didn't pull punches. Jesus didn't pull punches. So what was it? One of the guys who walked with Jesus was a guy named John. 
He listened to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He watched how Jesus interacted with people. And he says something really interesting in the very beginning of a book that he wrote about Jesus called the Gospel of John. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus. Jesus came to be with us. The idea is that he made his his home with us. Jesus moved in next door. Jesus decided to take up residence. And he says, and we have seen his glory. We, me and my buddies, John says, I'm writing this story. My friends and I have seen God's glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And I want you to circle this next part, underline it, do what you got to do, put a star next to it. He was full. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of of grace and truth. And the idea is that if you had a jar and you filled it with water 100% full of grace, and then you took another jar the same size and you poured it in full of truth, that they would both be overflowing to the top. He had 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. And that drew people to him. Jesus had grace for people. He continually told people where he saw God's fingerprint in their life. He would say things like, you are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. Imagine, imagine God in the flesh coming to you and saying, you, not you in the generic sense, you, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. He would say things like, the kingdom of God is close to you. The kingdom of God is at hand. God loves you. God is working in your life. He continually pointed out where God was currently working, and Jesus didn't pull any punches. He looked at a rich guy one day, and the Bible says that Jesus loved this rich guy, and this rich guy uh, had made money his God, had made security his God, uh, had made materialism his God. And so Jesus said to the guy, I love you, You need to grow in your generosity. So here's what you have to do. You're here. God wants you to be generous. So sell everything you have and come and follow me. That's crazy. If I got up here and said to you, hey, God wants us as a church to be more generous. So sell your boat, sell your extra car, give the money to the church and follow Jesus. I can guarantee we'd have a little bit lighter Sunday next week. That's why I just kind of said it right there and didn't really say it. Just kind of said it. Jesus looked at a loose woman one time, a woman who who was was sleeping around. She got caught in the act of adultery, and, and these guys wanted to kill her. They wanted to throw stones at her and smash her skull and kill her. And Jesus protected her, and he called her daughter, and he loved her. And he said, do they condemn you? And she said, no. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. But here's what he said. But that guy you're sleeping with doesn't love you. And no matter how many guys you sleep with, you're never going to feel fulfilled. So instead of going down that path, you're here. God wants you to be sexually holy. So go on your way and sin no more. Jesus looked at one of his his best friends, a guy named Peter. He said, Peter, God is working in your life. You're going to be a key leader in the church. You are an incredible guy. And then a few minutes later, Peter said something dumb, which Peter often did. And Jesus said to him, but, but right now, Satan is using you. He said, get behind me, Satan. Now imagine that. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to you and says, hey, God loves you, but right now, Satan is using you. So get behind me. And yet, these people were drawn to Jesus. They still kept coming back. 
Here's what I know about Jesus. Here's what I'm learning about Jesus. The reason why he could get away with that, the reason why he could, he could tell people where God wanted them to go, the reason why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus is because in the gap between where people were and where God wanted them to be, Jesus offered himself. He told the rich guy, sell your possessions and walk with me. Follow me. He told the woman who was, uh, was giving her body away sexually, don't sin like that because you're a daughter of God. Walk with me. He told Peter, Peter, don't let Satan tempt you. Instead, follow, follow me. And if we really want to have deep friendships, we have to take Jesus' model. If we want to take our friendships to a deeper level, beyond the surface level, beyond the small talk, beyond the sports and the current events, and, and all those things are good. But if we really want to go deep into relationships, we have to do two things. We have to look in people's lives and say, I see God working real time in this area of your life. And I just want to affirm that because it will encourage us to follow God more closely. And then we need to say, I see God working in your life here, but I can tell God wants to do something more in your life. And we need to call that out. And then we need to take Jesus' model and we need to say this. And in the gap between where you are and where God wants you to be, I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to offer myself. So instead of looking at our friend whose marriage is failing and saying, hey, you kind of suck at being a husband. You should really fix that. I'd like you to be more loving. You should really fix that. Instead, we go to a friend, another guy, and we say, hey, I can tell that you're struggling in your marriage. Can I, can I, can I get up every morning and pray with you at 6 a.m. about your marriage? Can we just meet together and talk and pray every day? I know it's going to cost me because I don't like getting up at 6 a.m., but, but I care about you. And you're here, and God wants you to be here. And in between where you are and where God wants you to be, I want to offer myself, and I want to do anything I can to help point you to Jesus. Instead of taking the friend and saying, hey, it seems like you are fearful. Like fear just grips you. Everything scares you. You never take a risk because of fear. You should really stop being fearful because the Bible commands you 365 times, do not be afraid. So stop sinning. Don't be afraid. Instead of saying that to a friend, which comes across just a little condemning, just a little. Instead of saying that, say, hey, I noticed that you're missing out on, on the fullness of life that God has for you, on this adventure of faith. And I think it's because of fear. Can we talk about that? And can I, can, I, can I walk with you in the places where you're afraid? Can we do it together? Can I take a risk with you to help you move closer to God? And if we continue to do that, if we, if we work on that, what will happen is our friendships will grow more. And God desired us for, have, for us to have deep relationships. God doesn't want us to, to have shallow relationships. The world is full of shallow relationships. And there's nothing wrong with current events or sports or talking politics or, or you know, whatever. Whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the church, where we have God at the center of our lives, he wants us to have deeper relationships than that. So the world would look at us and say, wow, there's something different about that community. They actually know each other. They actually love each other. They love each other enough to, to, to stir each other up, to poke at each other a little bit, and then to walk on the journey together. I want to give you some easy ways you can start to do this. Three different groups. If you're married, start with your spouse. Just start with your spouse. It's an easy way to start doing this. If you have kids, I can tell you, your kids need to know that God's working in their lives real time. They need to know it. 
you need to look for ways to tell your kids where God's working in their lives. Anytime, even if it's small, when your four-year-old shares with your two-year-old, say, wow, I saw you do that. That's God. God is working in your life. He's teaching you how to be generous and share. That's such an incredible thing. We need to affirm the heck out of our kids. And then when we parent, we need to grow our kids. You're here. God wants you there. Let me help you walk in this journey because I'm your mom. I'm your dad. If you have housemates, your housemates are a key place to do that because they see you when your teeth aren't brushed, when your makeup's not done. You see them when they're tired, when they're cranky, when they're hungry. If you have a housemate, start working there. Look for ways to affirm what God's currently doing and then look for next steps for them. And if you're in a life group, I know if you've been in a life group for any period of time, someone has said something in your group and you thought, nope, that's wrong. No, that's not what you should do. And here's what we do in our life groups. We zip it and we walk away. Because I'm not, who am I to say anything to you about that? Well, here's who you are. You're their friend. And you're a Jesus follower just like they are. And you want the best for them. And so you grab someone in your life group afterwards and say, hey, I noticed that you said uh, something kind of ridiculous. I wouldn't use those words. It's a paraphrase. Can we talk about that? I think God might have more for you than that. Let's see what happens. Uh, we're doing something a little different. So I want to wrap up this way. On the bottom of your teaching notes, it says, I want to put, uh, I want to learn to love. I want to learn to love. And in the past, we've had applying the message, and we give you three or four ways to apply the message. But I'm realizing this summer that we are learning to love, and we're on different steps of this journey. Some of us will be uh, fluent at a certain love language. For example, words of affirmation. Maybe you're really good at this. Maybe you do this all the time and people say, wow, I just, I feel so encouraged, so affirmed when I'm with you. Okay, that's great for you. And there are some of us in this room who said, you know what? I told my wife I loved her when we got married. I will tell her I love her when we get to heaven. That's plenty for me. Words of affirmation, probably not your primary love language. You need to grow in that area. So we gave different categories. I've given you 10 options and three categories. The first is a crawl option. If speaking words of affirmation seems like a foreign language to you, you do not get it, you're going to stay here for the second service and the third service just to hear me preach the same thing again because this just is not clicking with you, you're in the crawl section. Nothing wrong with that. But I've given you some ways to crawl to take a next step. And here's just one of them. Write a personal note to a close friend telling them how you see God working in their life. You don't even have to say anything to them. Just write it down and mail it to them. That's a crawl. Anybody could, you could do that. That's a step you could take. And then there's walk. Maybe you're somewhat conversational in words of affirmation. And so I want to challenge you to take a little bit bigger step to walk. It includes things like the very bottom, uh, ask your inner circle. That could be your family. It could be your housemates. Where they see God working in your life and what they think a next step might be. That's a little bit risky. But you know what? It's a good next step for some of us to grow closer to God and to be vulnerable and to open up. And then if you're really fluent in speaking words of affirmation, or if you just really want to challenge yourself, there's the run category. And we're going to have crawl, walk, run every single week for the next 10 weeks. Three different categories. And the run category is things like this. Grab your family four times this week and pray out loud for each member of your family, thanking God for the ways he's working in their lives. Listen, I pray all the time. I get paid to pray. Pay to pray. It's nice. I love it. I pray for you. I pray in groups. This is the thing I found out about being a pastor. Every time I go to dinner at someone's house, 
they asked me to pray. It's just part of it. I did not know that's what I was getting paid for, part of the gig. Apparently, I bless meals very well. But I can tell you this. Praying for my kids, praying for my wife out loud, is the most awkward time I ever pray. I'll just be honest with you. I could pray till the cows come home for our church. But when I have to call my family together and pray out loud for them, more than like, God, thanks for this meal, you know, it could be awkward. But it's a good step for me. So that's the one I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to pray out loud for every member of my family four times this week. So I'm going to look at my kids. I'm going to look at Maria. And I'm going to say, this is where I see God working in their lives. And I'm going to call them together. And I'm going to pray out loud in their presence for them. Those are just some, some next steps for you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your teaching notes home. I want you to pick one next step. And I want you to do something with it. Because information, which is what just came in, plus application, which is what we do with it. When it's combined with God's Spirit working in our lives, it leads us to transformation. And God created us to have transformed lives, transformed relationships, and a transformed experience with Him. So do something. And there's one last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to tell you this, and we're going to get into it next week really intentionally when we talk about words of affirmation to God. But I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something I know to be true about you. God loves you. He loves you. His fingerprint is imprinted in your life. That's why when you lay in bed at night and it's dark, something in you tells you there's something more there. It's because God is there and he's calling you and he's nudging you and he's saying, I want to reveal my fingerprint in your life. And the first step is simply this, to enter into a relationship with him. To enter into a relationship with him. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that when we were separated from him by sin, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to die on a cross to bring about the forgiveness of our sins, to bring us back to our Father. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And he came to save you. And he came to bring you back to God. And if you're here today and you've never done that, we're going to close with a time of prayer where you can commit your life over to God. And you can start this journey of walking with him because that's what God wants for you. All the stuff we're talking about, the deeper friendships, those will be an incredibly great byproduct. But if you miss out on a relationship with God, you are missing out on life itself. And so if you sense God calling you today, you can pray a simple prayer with me. You can commit yourself over to him. So would you join me as we pray together? And if you sense God calling you to himself right now, you can pray this prayer. It's, it's, it's not a magical prayer. It's, it's simply a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer where you affirm what God is doing in your life right now. And you can say this. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth and lived a perfect life and that you died on a cross And when you did that, you took the penalty for my sin and you made a way for me to come back to my heavenly Father. Today I say, yes, God. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering. Yes, I want you. So would you come and fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you show me how to walk with you from where I am every day of my life and into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.